Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com slash breadbox. One, two, three, listen. Welcome to the Shoot the Shiitake podcast with me, Father Leo Padalinghug, a Catholic priest on a mission to bring people of all different backgrounds together to learn, to love, and accept one another. Even if we disagree, we've got to be willing to listen to each other as God does with us and as God intends for us to do. So in this unique podcast, I'm not going to get into the deep and technical things of our Catholic faith, but rather to how to make these things practical and realistic simply by listening to each other. And this week, we're going to have a deep dish discussion. I'm going to listen to John Minidakis of Jimmy's Famous Seafood. He's going to share his story, the immigrant story, with his family owning a restaurant and doing some great successful things, but bringing that success to others, especially those in need. And if you want to support our podcast, please go to our website, platinggrace.com, and click on the Academy where you can become a tiered member. And with a small donation each month, you get access to premium content and special perks. But for now, we ask you to just enjoy this conversation, my deep dish discussion with John Minidakis of Jimmy's famous seafood as we shoot the shiitake. And welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo. I am talking to John Menadakis. Yeah, you got it right. First yep, try. Yep, exactly. Very impressive. Uh, well, Efkaristo. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the extent of my Greek. So his family has owned Jimmy's Famous Seafood here in Baltimore. It is an icon. I was a priest, excuse me, a seminarian here for a while. And this is going to be my first time in years coming back to this place. It's changed quite a bit. First of all, John, thank you for having me. Well, thanks for having me here at the restaurant. Thanks for joining me on Shoot the Shiitake. Oh, thanks for being here. It's uh, yeah, quite an honor, honestly. Oh, uh, my, my get friends, out of here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Big fans, uh, you know. My friend Harry Fox is actually a very devout Christian, and he, you're probably his favorite Twitter account to follow. He's always sending me uh, the tweets. and so. <laughs> Well, at least there's two of you now that like me because I know people <laughs> hate me yeah. because, uh, because I'm a little kind of forward with it. But what I want to do is I want to talk about the restaurant, mm-hmm. this place itself. What does Jimmy's Famous Seafood mean, and how did you get the name Famous? That's a great question. So uh, we've been here for 47 years, actually. Uh, my father opened the restaurant in 1974, and uh, you know he was the American dream. He came over here broke from Greece uh, with nothing in his pocket, didn't know the language, and he just worked and worked and worked. That's why I get really offended because I think one of the, the things that they're trying to call a myth now is the American dream, and mm. uh, my family is a walking, breathing embodiment of the American dream, and that's why yeah, I love being American and Greek American uh, so much because this country gave us everything when we had nothing. Wow. Um, so he just built this place slowly but surely. Um, so did he start off 
with a restaurant? No, he was a busboy. He was a busboy. Waiter. Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, you got to pay your dues. Yeah. That's, that's the American way. You know, exactly. You know. So where did he work? In Jimmy's? He landed in uh, Pennsylvania, actually. Okay. Uh, originally uh, made his way to D.C. Mm. because, you know, how it was back then, uh, the immigrants from each country would stick together. And he had uh, friends and family from the motherland uh, in Philadelphia originally and then in D.C., and they helped him get work, and then he made his way to Baltimore. Okay. He opened a small bar called the Chevrolet Inn, at the uh, very close to the former GM plant, hence the name. Uh, at some point, the government came in and told him they needed the property to build Browning Highway. Oh my gosh! And uh, that's when he moved here and opened Jimmy's Seafood in 1974. So, so who's Jimmy then? Is that Dad? That was my father. Yeah. So he passed away in 2003 from throat cancer. And that's when uh, myself and my brother took over. So we've been at the helm for, I guess, 18 years now. Okay, now, but Jimmy, that's not his, that's his Americanized name. Right, so his, his Greek name is Dimitri. 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 And both of my nephews who have his name uh, have that name as well, Dimitri. But, of course, you know, we call him Jimmy, uh, little Jimmy, baby <laughs> Jimmy. So, uh, yeah, my father was Jimmy. And I don't know when he switched it over from Jimmy's Seafood to Jimmy's Famous Seafood, but it was early on. So, you know, he had big dreams and big aspirations. But the famous, it, it stuck. Yeah, well, the famous kind of um, is the moniker that we gave it uh, in 2003 when he passed because uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the restaurant industry, but nobody makes it second generation. Of course. Maybe one or two percent. I do know that. So that was, uh, you know, we had to kind of leave Jimmy's behind and make it the famous. Um, And that was kind of our first foray into the modern vision of what it is. Okay, because I... I knew you guys from 1990. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this place looks a little different from 1990. Yeah, we definitely put uh, you know a lot of blood, sweat, tears, and of course money into it uh, to change you, the look. Well, your blood, sweat, and tears runs deep in this restaurant. Tell me about your connection to it besides your dad owning it. Yeah, I mean, I was born and raised here, literally. Uh, you know, I, I grew up on top of Jimmy's. Um, if I got hungry, if I needed a snack, I would just walk downstairs and make myself a sandwich. Um, I went to school smelling like you know grease oil every day and then fish. <laughs> Uh, you know, I could tell you a million jokes. Uh, you know, Monday Night Football back in the day uh, would be running from the cable box in the apartment at the time, and my brothers and myself would be watching uh, Monday Night Raw and WCW Nitro and switching Golly. the channel, and everybody downstairs would be up in arms watching the game. So, uh, some interesting stories, obviously. Um, you know, I, I will say that the one thing that growing up on top of a bar did for us is a uh, totally normalized alcohol uh, to the point where we never thought it was cool. Of course. Um, so when the kids in high school were binge drinking, um, we were like, what are you doing? You know, if you wanted a beer, you could just go to the party room and get one, right? And they're drinking this cheap vodka. And my father would always be very upfront with us. He goes, hey, if you want to drink, that's fine. Just make sure you're not drinking and driving. Uh, I'll, get a, I'll get a driver for you. And, you know, when, when something is not made cool to you and it seems normal to you, it, it takes away the urge to want to be a rebel. Well, uh, that's, that's Greek. Yeah, it's I mean, part of the culture, the culture, absolutely. I think like, Europe I mean, in general, Europe, but Mediterranean culture. You're sure, not but yeah, of bringing it here and having it available to us has never made it cool to us. I do want to talk about the immigrant status, though, mm-hmm. that your dad experienced uh, and that American dream, because it's something that a lot of people don't understand. That the most successful restaurants mm-hmm. are not just the ones that have the concept, but they're the ones that have the culture, and you're sticking with mm-hmm. it. You're not trying to change it. Mm-hmm. So I want to hear about what kind of challenges he experienced, and even you as a kid yeah. growing up. I mean, it's, it's in my opinion, uh, the hardest business in the world, especially now with COVID and the restrictions that we're dealing with. Um, but it is more than good food. It is more than good service. It is an obsession, and I think 
uh, when you're an immigrant and you have that immigrant mindset and you're able to pass that along to your children and your grandchildren, you kind of have an advantage uh, because 18 normal, 18 hour days and 20 hour days are normalized to you. Sure. And it's part of your blood. And I always advise my friends that aren't in the industry that want to get into it. If you're not born into it, don't even think about it because it's not for everybody. Uh, and it's not glorious. Of course, everybody sees the glorious aspects, but well, it's food a brutal. Network has done a great job and a pathetic job of understanding food. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a brutal, brutal, brutal job. Um, there's so much that can go wrong, and uh, it's so much has to go right for that plate to hit your table at the way you want it to look. And as you mentioned, uh, I think that's why immigrants do such a great job with restaurants. Yeah, uh, because it is part of the culture, and the recipes are authentic, and uh, you can't replicate heart and desire and that's what they goes into each plate when you go to a mexican or a greek or an italian place is they take a lot of pride in that plate because that was their mother's recipe that was their grandmother's that's recipe, right and they want to make sure they get it right but your dad i mean like i know that you have amazing seafood probably some of the most amazing seafood in europe i mean the whole greek part of the world how did he kind of adapt all of that to make it balmer hun yeah he just um came to baltimore and he was very uh, in love with the culture and the food and he just uh, kept the Greek principles of keeping it simple being honest and having quality ingredients yeah and he applied it to the food uh, yeah. you know he didn't cut corners on the recipes and it's something that my brother who's the chef now takes a great deal of pride in is no matter what the price of uh, the crab meat becomes he's not going to alter that recipe yeah, you got to get it yeah, you just and you have to be honest and give people big portions. And you know, my father, his uh, most famous quote, I guess, was always "Give the people what they want." Yeah, and <laughs> and that goes a long way in our business. Oh, I got to tell you, I remember coming here as a seminarian mm -hmm. and just having to. A doggy bag, literally, yeah. a seminarian taking home a doggy bag. It was ridiculous. But the crab cakes were huge. Now, mm -hmm. let's admit, there are a lot of great seafood restaurants in mm -hmm. Baltimore. This stands out. I'd love to hear, besides your brother being the chef, mm -hmm. what are the things that you think makes your food kind of top-notch? Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, there are hundreds of places in Baltimore. And I'm not naive. I, I don't think that we are the undisputed best crab cake right sure. in Baltimore I think that anytime you talk about that subject the same way that I talk about you know professional wrestling it's not who's the best it's who's your favorite sure and I think that we've been able to become everybody's favorite or most people's favorite because of the sense of family and the 47 year tradition here and our sense of community so when people do come here uh, we make it a point, uh, we have 125 employees, hmm. to make sure that everybody is treated like family. Uh, and then with our social media, which is, which is very unusual uh, for a privately owned restaurant, people are able to see what we're doing with the money, where the money's going. Yeah. And they feel a little bit better about themselves because if you know, you're making four or $500 a week, that $100 dinner, it's going to set you back a little bit. Sure. But you want to at least have that assurance that hey man, this money is going right back into the community. And not only am I getting a great experience, not only am I being appreciated, not only am I getting a great meal, but that money is being reinvested into the place that I'm from. Okay, social media, because we're gonna have a little conversation about that, that's how we met. I can yeah. say, John and I met online. <laughs> <laughs> how creepy is that? But but we did, we, we discussed each other on Twitter just because 
Uh, I had always known who you were, but mm-hmm. it's not like I follow a restaurant unless sure. I have a reason Yeah, who to. should? Yeah. Yeah. And, but I started following you guys simply because I realized you were doing something very unique. Now, anyone could be listening to this show at any time, so it doesn't matter. Everyone's going to remember the year 2020 and mm-hmm. the year 2021 with the stupid COVID lockdowns. And mm-hmm. I'm calling them stupid at this point just because in a way they are. You're right. We know that they are. But I started following you. And you all started doing something pretty amazing. Tell everybody what Jimmy's Famous Seafood has done. Yeah, so we started the Famous Fund, um, which, which is what it's called now. Because when we did start it, it was out of desperation and it was out of a sense of urgency. And we had no name, no logo. But we just uh, wanted to mimic what Dave Portnoy did with Barstool Sports and yep. apply it to our local eateries. because Who's also awesome. Yeah, while he did save uh, three or four at the, at the time, I believe, Baltimore institutions, uh, places like Colada's. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, we as Baltimoreans, we can't depend on one person who's got 50 states at his, at his, on his radar screen to, to save us. And uh, we made the bet with him uh, for the Bills-Ravens game. And if we, we did win that bet, which we didn't, we got to pick another place for him to save. Unfortunately, the Ravens didn't win. And I was really upset. And it wasn't because the Ravens lost. I was upset because I felt that I let somebody down and that mm. I might be the reason why somebody's not going to be there in 2022. So I just sat down in front of my phone and I recorded that two-minute video, which went pretty viral pretty Very quickly. Vital. And uh, here we are, not even four weeks later, with over $400,000. And we've saved 15 restaurants so far. Uh, we've approved 15 more. So we're sitting at 30 right now, which is pretty spectacular in my opinion so <laughs> spectacular it's pretty freaking awesome yeah. I, you know i interviewed chef gruel people mm-hmm. can hear that episode as well he's doing something very similar in the west coast we need guys on the east coast doing the same thing but locally mm-hmm. locally I, I want people to know how much work this is because you've got a full-time job already as it is in yeah. the restaurant well yeah i mean look uh, i'm definitely dealing with the same things they're dealing with right but uh, you know, we've been a little bit more fortunate in the sense that uh, we do have the online shipping capabilities where we can ship to all 50 states and the e-commerce. And um, I consider that luck. Um, I, you know, some people don't, but it really is luck. Nobody knew that this was coming. So, yes, we were set up to better battle a pandemic than uh, two 60-year-old married restaurateurs who don't know how to use the Internet, for example. Exactly. And I remember being on these Zoom meetings with these people and they had tears in their eyes and they didn't know how they were going to pay, you know, their property tax or their BG&E bill. And I just couldn't let that happen. And that's uh, when I just came up with this concept. And here we are, like I said, not even a month later. And we've been able to honestly, I would hate to use this word, but create some small miracles, you know. And Why, don't, just, why not use that it word? It shows that's you great. what Baltimore's about. And Baltimore comes together and Chef uh, on the West Coast, you know, he's doing phenomenal things for people affected by it. But... Baltimore is a really small city, and for us to raise this much money, it's, it's it's pretty amazing. And we're not even close to being finished yet. And just because uh, we've been able to save some doesn't mean that our work's finished by any means because, you know, 25%, uh, one-hour rules, and all these ridiculous restrictions on these places, if you have a 20-seat restaurant, uh, you're losing money by opening. And these people, they put out spectacular dishes and they don't know how to use Twitter. They don't know how to use Instagram. So we need to be there for them. And that's, that's who this fund was created for. Interesting. There's a real level of competition among restaurants sure. as it is anyways, but people don't realize that there's also incredible fraternity mm-hmm. and incredible community because we want each other to succeed. If a restaurant is surviving, that's good for other restaurants. Absolutely. Uh, uh, that people don't what do you realize. say? Rising tide raises all ships. Yeah. Yeah. So 
uh, you know, Baltimore has a very spectacular and, and well-documented history of, of great restaurants. I put it up against any region anywhere in America. Okay. Please talk about that because I talk about that all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that right now our food culture is suffering. Absolutely. But we've had great, amazing restaurants. Tell me a little bit about your experience of the bigger food scene. Sure. Like I've, been, I've been fortunate enough to travel the country. And, you know, when I go to an Italian restaurant, I compare it to the Baltimore Little Italy restaurants. And yep. I, I would put my Baltimore Little Italy restaurants against any one of them. Obviously, I think we have seafood done better than anybody else uh people do it differently for example in new orleans and the west coast sure. but I, you know my personal opinion and including boston as well i think baltimore does it better um steakhouses here privately owned steakhouses yeah that's phenomenal. a big deal for us yeah uh we have everything here and we have the charm that goes along with it okay tell service. me about this charm because yeah. i mean like i was making i was teasing with my chef and i was talking about the Balmer accent hon mm-hmm. you know we talk like this all the time you know dan yeah. i'm here in dundalk Tell me, what do you think the charm is in Baltimore? You know, it's hard to put it into words, but if you watch uh, any Baltimore restaurant ever being featured on a Food Network show... Which yours was, and we're going to talk about that. And if you go and watch like the Chaff's Pit Beef episode, for example, for uh, or uh, the Blue Moon Cafe episode of Triple D, you see Baltimore there, and you see it's, a, it's just a purity, it's a genuine love for people and food, that transcends the the industry and really comes through the television and breaks that fourth wall, in my opinion, more so than any other state or any other city. Mm, Yeah, I kind of have to agree because there is a grit to Mm -hmm. Baltimore, but also there's a a refinement. I mean, my God, we're the first Catholic church established in the whole United States, but that's a different story. Let's talk about about diners, drive-ins, and dives, your your experience with the Guy Fieri and, uh, and just the popularity. How do you handle all that? Uh, well, it's hard to articulate how massive it is when he comes into your place. I equate it to winning a Super Bowl because once you have that, nobody can ever take it away from you. And now you've arrived and people recognize you and they go out of their way to seek you. And I think early on with COVID, people saw who Guy Fieri really was. He's amazing. He's not a meme. You know, he's he not is. a guy <laughs> that dyes his hair. He is an American hero. He is. And he, in my opinion, he was the first one to step up and do he the did. right thing. He was. He did it uh, before the blueprint was set and before the cameras were set up. He did it because he knew it was the right thing to do. He's been all around the country, and he knew how important these restaurants were to their communities. He didn't want to see them replaced with a Carabas, with a Ruby Tuesdays. He wanted that place that's been there for 70 years to be there for 30 more and 40 mm-hmm. more. And... There's nothing like being on that show. Nothing. And people we, make fun of him because they think he's just got this orchidaceous personality, but he really is a genuine good guy. He is. I love the fact that he's got his son Hunter on this yeah. shows with him. But what did he do for you guys in this five to six minute episode yep. segment? Um, well, you know, we were warned by people that had been on the show before us, guys like Bob from Chaps, be ready for it, be ready for it, and you're never ready for it because it airs on a Friday night, and for that entire 48-week, excuse me, 48-hour weekend, you are nonstop welcoming people from every state into your doors. Uh, you know, you do a walk through your uh, parking lot after a Triple D episode airs or re-airs, and you'll probably see 20 states' license plates in your parking lot, uh, especially now with social media and the Internet. Uh, the web traffic it crashed our website I think the first three times sure. uh, that it aired 
and just the reruns too and you know we've been fortunate to be featured on it a few times now and it just nothing equates to it not any of our viral tweets uh not being on any major news network it's nothing equates to being on that show because he has a following of food lovers and at the end of the day uh, that's what we're here for we're serving food and when people think of Baltimore, they think of crab cakes. And when people watch Triple D and they see Baltimore crab cakes, all of a sudden now they think Jimmy's. It's it's kind of uh, it's, it's kind of iconic. It, it's, it's it's very humbling. <laughs> it's amazing. And and that's a good word for it, humbling. You've got one of the most successful restaurants in the state of Maryland, and then of course even more prominent in Baltimore City. In again a unique part of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. If you if you know Baltimore, you're going to know. Yeah. Dundalk is a unique part, but you're serving high-end food, high-quality food. I'm, I'm going to ask you the question. This is going to sound almost spiritual. It's almost like a confession here. How do you stay humble? Oh gosh, that's my. That's easy. Uh, that's just you know, <laughs> that's my upbringing, my father, and my schooling, which uh, I talked to you about uh, via text. You know, I went to Loyola uh, Middle School, I went to Loyola High School, I went to Jesuits, Loyola, Loyola College. Uh, I'm Greek Orthodox. So, you know, we were in church every single Sunday growing up. And your church services were longer than the Catholics. Exactly. Because you got to do both languages. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you and do an awful lot of standing. <laughs> absolutely. And um, my father's uh, and my mother's immigrant backgrounds and, and, you know, their faith in God and, you know, him leading them here uh, played a big role in that. And I think that if you are a good Christian, uh, you know, staying humble is pretty easy. Because I've been down. I've had nothing. You know, after my father passed, you know, there were some dark days, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and nobody around uh, to help you out. And, you know, that's just uh, a lesson and it's a test from God. I believe that uh, anytime my friends are going through any struggles, I always tell them, you know, God saves his biggest battles for his greatest soldiers. And he's mm-hmm. always setting you up for something bigger. And, you know, the other thing that unfortunately we see on twitter and I, and I referenced to you before we came here people try to discredit the american dream which irritates me people anytime we seem to mention god via social media you get some people saying oh that's cute you believe in a higher power oh, you can't even invisible see man yeah. and i'm like actually you know i do and i've made it 37 years believing him and you know if you don't believe in something whether you know it's god or whoever you believe in uh you know you're always going to be a little bit off spiritually i feel like and you won't be humble uh, and you won't have confidence when you're down that things will get better. Mm. And I think uh, any Christian that's listening to this will, will agree with that. Um, you yeah, know, even get- during our darkest times, and when I see kids, you know, when Mo died recently, you know, I questioned, you know, God, and I had uh, two friends die this in 2020, not through COVID, but you know, through cancer. Um, sure, I questioned, but I didn't lose faith, you know, because I know that uh, long term. Uh, it'll it'll play all it'll play out and you know we'll see why he did it. Wow, well you sound like a sound like a preacher kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, Leola just really set me up and he, you know you know the Jesuit uh, values of being a man for others. Yep. Um, you know anytime that people ask me about the famous fund, um, you know my two reasons for doing it. Number one was obviously the example set forth by Dave Portnoy, and number two Leola uh, and you know they taught me to be a man for others and. And that's what we did. You know, that's what St. Ignatius did. Yeah. He, he gave up everything he had to help others, and I think it's the right thing to do. Now, I, I want to delve just very briefly, very briefly, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds with it. It's just, what, what do you think is going on with the whole, with the whole lockdown? And, and we know how it's affected people, but does it make sense to you as a restaurant? Or what's your sense from other restaurants? Well, what I've seen with COVID is, 
Uh, the same thing that I see with pretty much all walks of life is you don't really care until it affects you. And nobody discredits COVID. And of course. everybody probably knows somebody that's had COVID and have probably had a pretty significant battle with COVID. But um, people that are against restaurants being open are people that probably haven't had their salary affected, haven't had their livelihood threatened. And then when it hits you, and it, you know, you're the person that has to tell 150 employees that that's you can't open three weeks before Christmas, all of a sudden your tone will probably change, right? So I'm living it. Uh, I don't want to use the analogy of war, but it really was like a war here because you're, you're you're fighting for your survival. You're fighting not only for your livelihood, but the livelihood of 150 people who have families, you sure. know, who have kids that need Christmas gifts, who have BG&E pills that need, bills that need to be paid, and so on and so on. And it was just heartbreaking. So, you know, I don't know why uh, we're doing it here in Baltimore a lot more so than, say, Texas or Florida. But it, it is it is what it is. I hate to say that, but well, all we, you can do is adjust. We were locked down, Absolutely. literally, without any kind of recourse. And then there was a, a whole silly notion of this whole one hour of dining. Yes. Uh, I'd love to just hear your opinion as a professional who does take care of their restaurant, keeps things clean, mm-hmm. keeps things safe. I think restaurateurs are a little bit more in a position to dictate the policy rather than the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just uh, a power flex. That's all that it is. Because uh, some restaurants, for example, a McDonald's, have no problem serving somebody within an hour. But a place like this where you have to wait 30 minutes for your steam, you know, your crabs to steam. Sure. And then if you order uh, a glass of wine, if you order dessert, there's your hour right there. And you haven't even been able to enjoy your appetizers or your dinner and you're being thrown out the door. And what the only thing that that's doing, and I see the comments and I hear from my customers, I would love to go to Jimmy's, but I can't do the hour. So I'm gonna go to the county instead. So right. we're continuing to send our tax paying money to the counties. Uh, and the, either the repercussions are gonna be very, very, very long standing. I'm talking decades because all of a sudden, these past two, three months, the first lockdown, it was a quote-unquote even playing field. So the yeah. whole state was locked down, so they had to get carry up from somewhere. Most recently with Christmas and with the Ravens playoff fund, for example, they didn't have to come here because they could get the same food or similar food in the county and not have to get it in the carry out. And what did they do at that point? Now they discovered a place in the county where they don't have to pay $20 for parking as they do in the city. Now they established a relationship, a personal relationship with the bartender, with the server. So if they do come back to the city, and many of them won't, they will come back less frequently. Instead of going to Little Italy twice a month, now you might go once a month. And not only that, but the employees as well. Now these people are going to go to the county for their work. And I saw that the city was uh, complaining that they don't have revenue from parking recently. Well, I wonder why. Yeah, exactly. You know? Everything is empty. I mean, like, in a way, you and I are very similar. We do large events. I do travel on top of all that, Mm -hmm. and everything was decimated for me. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of the reason why I was so keen on coming out and visiting with you so quickly. I got to tell you, you have been an answer to a prayer, because I know people hate me on Twitter. (laughs) I know they do. And frankly, I don't give a faith, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you, just because I have a right to say what I have to say, Mm -hmm. and I'm an immigrant and person of color. Mm -hmm. So go ahead, white person, tell me what I can and can't say. That Mm -hmm. drives me crazy. But you did something that really struck my heart and it literally kind of made me tear up. You just offered me food. Yeah, well, yes, that's the Greek way. But you, I mean, like. My father would always tell me never go anywhere empty handed. So I, everywhere, every time I go somewhere and I visit a friend or 
uh, you know, to a ga- any sort of gathering, you always show up with food in your hands, you know, and that's that's how I was raised. He would when I was in trouble in high school and he had to show up for the principal, he showed up with a tray of crab cakes. <laughs> it probably got me into a little less trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, so what's next for Jimmy's Seafood and uh, and the Menadakis family? Gosh, uh, well, you know, the next uh, professionally is uh, we tease this a little bit. We're going to be going into Washington National Stadium uh, this upcoming baseball season. As I long saw as that we have tweet. Fans. So that's very exciting. And then there will be a, a corresponding move right after that, which everybody can probably guess the logical progression there. Uh, but my focus, Father, right now, honestly, is, is on the famous fun and hitting that $500,000 goal um, and just helping out as many people as I can. Uh, you know, we're doing okay here. We you know we're paying the bills. We're waiting for a full return to normal. Yeah, we're, we're, we're surviving, not thriving yeah, we're, yeah, at this exactly. point. That's a great way of putting it. Uh, you know, the employees are making tip money. Um, so we're just happy to be working. And, you know, uh, so my, my main focus right now is the Famous Fund. You know, we are a nonprofit organization now. And people can find it at FamousFund. Famous the, the FamousFund.org. The famous okay. And, uh, you know, we're shipping our crab cakes nationwide on our website, uh, jimmysfamousseafood.com. We have our food trucks out despite the cold and despite the snow. So we're waiting for the weather to get a little better. But I think the worst, you know, God willing, is behind us right now. Yeah. And it only made us better. And uh, we're just excited to, you know, get back to some sort of normalcy. Who knows what the normalcy will be if they're wearing two masks, three masks, or four masks. But, uh, you know, if they can pull it down and they can eat, you know, we'll be here to serve them. (laughs) I got to tell you, this has been absolutely fantastic. This is this is not only informative, it's also inspiring for me because I didn't know of the family background. I didn't know that that your mother released the placenta right oh, yeah. above where I'm going to be oh, eating. Oh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's two of your brothers, right? You uh, it's two three of, of us total. Uh, my brother Nick moved to Florida, okay. so he's, uh, he's down there. It's me and Tony here. So. you got a good governor at least. Yeah, yeah, he's happy <laughs> down there. Yeah, he never had any restrictions, so he's happy. Yeah, yeah. and... Um, you know, you're absolutely right. I want people to, first of all, go to thefamousfund.org yes. and make a donation. I did one personally, but the Table Foundation is also going to be making another Thank one. You so much. Because we believe in what you're doing. Thank you for that. But also, I just love the fact that people like Guy Fieri just came out here mm-hmm. and he brought the attention to you yeah. and to Baltimore. Uh, he loves Baltimore. That's why he opened the restaurant here. He loves that grit that you talked about. He's, he always speaks about Baltimore. He, he's... He's kind of got the Baltimore accent in a way. And, you know, we filmed another episode that should air soon. And, you know, his knowledge of the blue crab compared to other crabs that are prevalent nationwide, like, he knows his stuff. You know, he knows the old Bay jokes. Like, he really cares about this place, and he wants to see it thrive. And I think when we do return to normal, uh, you'll see him. And he's very cognizant of how big that spotlight is. Sure. And I think you'll see a couple more places from Baltimore show up on that list. I certainly hope so. Uh, You know, I'll just throw it out there. When I beat Bobby Flay, <laughs> I got two million unique visitors in one night. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of pull that that has. That hasn't made me famous like you guys are, but hopefully soon we're going to be, I don't know, I'd love to park next to your food truck and we get ours going. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. Last question. We just met. I'm a Catholic priest. You're a Greek Orthodox you invited me well actually you were going to send me stuff i invited myself to your restaurant (laughs) what can i do to help you how can this priest be a good priest for you i just keep fighting the good fight i think right now more than ever uh, in this country uh, we need to be very cognizant and very aware of what's right and what's wrong and 
there's a lot of distractions out there, um, and we need to remember who the true king is. It doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who controls the Senate. Uh, there's only one true king, and, uh, you know, without us recognizing that, uh, we're going to head down, continue to head down, I should say, a very dangerous path. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. My special guest, John Menadakis of Jimmy's Famous Seafood here in Dundalk in Baltimore, Maryland. When I come back, I'm going to share with you my carryout order, everything that I learned from this deep dish discussion. We'll be back with more Shoot the Shiitake in just a moment. And welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo. And I want to thank my special guest, John Minadakis, and his family for not only hosting me at Jimmy's Famous Seafood in basically Dundalk, Baltimore, which is just about 15, 20 minutes away from where I live, but just sharing his story. I mean, first of all, the food that they served me was over-the-top excellent. I definitely had leftovers for dinner as well as lunch the next day. So, John, you are absolutely right. You and your family, they know how to put out a feast. But that's not the only carryout order. I learned a few things. One is just that the immigrant story that he mentioned about his family just started with nothing, but they worked to really build something great. And and I think that if there's anything that I kind of reflect, it's that sometimes Americans that are born here can maybe feel a little entitled. And, you know, and that's no fault of their own. You're blessed to be born in this country. But maybe what you need to do is get out of it and see how America is truly a land of opportunity. We don't guarantee outcomes, but we guarantee equal opportunity. And that's a big difference because our world is becoming too entitled, especially Americans. And, and they're starting to sound like spoiled brats, to be honest with you. And and the Minidakas family just reminded me of that, that 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 families coming from different parts of the world, they just work harder. They work harder. That's what you got to do to be successful. The second thing is their faith really plays a part of it all. And, and it's great to see John. Now, if you meet John and he's very accessible, he and his brother are very accessible. They're all there. In fact, I met the mom. She was there too. They're just a healthy, strapping, beautiful family. They're just a, a beautiful family altogether. But what you see in them is their their inner goodness, their faith, and how he continues his Greek uh, cultural expression of faith, his orthodox faith, and it just means something to him. And it's it's a beautiful thing to see what faith and food can actually do. And the third thing is that his success wasn't measured in how much he made, but how much they were able to give away and just raising almost a half a million at this point of the recording of this podcast. What they were able to do, it just shows that if you truly are trying to be great. It's never in how much you can make, but it's in how much you can give to others in need. And I hope that one of these days that that other restaurants will do the same, especially in the midst of the closing of restaurants and the pandemic. It was just absolutely crazy and ridiculous, and it really destroyed the livelihood of so many people. But successful restaurants like Jimmy's, they took their success and they turned it into a gift for others. And so I hope you enjoyed this conversation with me and Jimmy's famous seafood, their their son, Jimmy, uh, John Menadakis. I wish them and their family all the best. And if you enjoyed this conversation and got something out of it and want to support us, just go to platinggrace.com, click on donate, or better yet, become a member of the Academy. There you can enjoy uh, the premium content and support 
support the work that we do. And I certainly hope that you enjoyed this deep dish discussion and the carryout order as we we were trying to shoot the shiitake and I was eating so much food, I gotta tell you. I hope that you do visit Jimmy's at some point because it's pretty fantastic. But between now and then, and then now and the next time we shoot the shiitake, stay hungry for God. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.